Macy says Moses abuses his power. Park chairman's alleged arbitrary acts cost state millions. The New York Times, September 14th, 1925. <coughs> Mic check, one, two, one, two. Okay, bring in the introduction right here. The Ordinary Times. Stories for people who only attend church on Christmas and Easter, where we explore the parallel narratives between the good news and the good newspaper. When we say that Adolf Ox was publisher of the New York Times and Chattanooga Times at the same time, we don't actually mean that he was physically there every day. In Chattanooga, he had a staff that was overseen by a close relative. Even when Adolf Ox's presence was missing from Chattanooga, he was there in essence when his commands were followed. But as Adolf increased in age, he simultaneously increased in success and depression. So he found himself increasingly absent from the New York Times operational headquarters. He was far up the road at his new house on his palatial Hillendale estate in White Plains, New York. And in this way, Ox was an early trendsetter of those who were employed in the city but lived a long commute away. Nearing was an age that would call for new roads and new homes. Which brings us to the September 14, 1925 New York Times article entitled, Macy Says Moses Abuses His Power. The Moses referred to here is not the Old Testament prophet who led the Israelites to the Promised Land but the New York public official who built a bridge to carry urbanites to Jones Beach, past the outer boroughs. He eventually touched everything in New York City, from highways to housing projects to skyscrapers. But his work as chairman of the Long Island Park Commission is where this article begins. The op-ed penned by the powerful Republican New York State Senator W. Kingsland Macy starts I have appealed as a private citizen who wants to help against gross violation of private rights. The urban planner was making a highway from the city to Jones Beach on Long Island by seizing private property and without sufficient public input. But unlike anyone else, Robert Moses understood the new needs of that public with their new cars driving to new homes in the suburbs. Robert Moses was a visionary who had an uncanny knack of turning his urban planning dreams into brick and mortar reality. But Senator Macy's criticism lay in how he was achieving them. He said, Mr. Moses informed me that he had the arbitrary power to seize his property. Mr. Moses seized it when the state did not have a cent to pay for it. Macy goes on. He was able to control the press of New York City. 
Senator Macy was warning readers that the unelected official, Robert Moses, was manifesting his vision through mandate. But Moses had already acquired enough positions on various park authorities, public work commissions, and highway boards, both paid and unpaid, to build a road to his version of the future. Full disclosure, Senator Macy was not the ideal champion of the people. He was a privileged blue blood who represented the landed gentry outside the city limits. And he was going up against a man who promised to bring city dwellers a literal day at the beach. But Macy saw in Robert Moses a looming threat to all the metropolis. Macy continued, It is my duty as an American citizen to resist the oppression of a lawless, roving bureaucracy. He said that Moses would cause the commission to undertake a valuable and constructive work in order to offset the bad impression made by their abuse of authority. The plan made public by the commission for the development of Short and Jones beaches and other oceanfront properties is a step in the right direction. I suggested this plan to Mr. Moses many months ago, and he laughed at it. Ironically, in representing the interests of the privileged few, Senator Macy was looking out for the eventual well-being of the many. Moses constructed through demagoguery, while Macy reminded of the historic foundations of democracy. Moses may have built a bridge to the future, but Macy was paving a road back home. As New York goes, so goes the nation. An era of new roads to new homes would be exported to every American city. Herein lies a parallel to our scripture reading in John 16, verses 12 through 15, on this Trinity Sunday. Rabbi Jesus was preparing to leave earth for his new home and glory, yet he would not leave them without a road to the Father. When we say that the church is the body of Christ, we don't actually mean that Jesus is physically there. In the Holy Spirit, he left the Comforter as an overseer. Even when Christ's physical presence is missing from the church, he is there, in essence, when his commands are followed. Because in John 16, Jesus sensed the nearing of an age when his teaching was a road God to travel to find a new home in a renewed people. Gospel. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. First, the John 16 verses 12 to 15 scene brings imagery that is much like the Moses exit in the Old Testament. But in a reversal, this prophet Jesus, who led his Jewish followers, would not be prevented from entering God's promised reward. It is his followers 
who would be left behind. Yet in a strange way, they both would be entering the kingdom of God, but in different ways. If that's confusing to you, it may be because you assume that the point of Christianity is to go to heaven once you die. Even though resurrection and the afterlife are a big theme of Jesus' teaching, they are not the centerpiece of what he believed the kingdom of God to be. Maybe a metaphor will suffice. If the New Jerusalem where Jesus ascended to was Manhattan, then where we live on earth, in the here and now, are the outer boroughs. But they both are technically New York City. And just like the urban planner Robert Moses, Christ desires to leave his mark from the highways to the housing projects to the skyscrapers. And even though he is an unelected official, he uses his power for the elect that he has chosen. The powerless. So let's break down how the gospel gives us the blueprint of how this new construction is built. Initially, our story begins when Jesus, like Adolf Fox, is making plans to retire from his labor in a new home. Not upstate New York, per se, but up above in the heavens. Yet there is still an ongoing work that must be done. Christ says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot hear them now. So that presents us with a problem of sorts. How can this rabbi continue to teach his disciples when he is so far from them? Next, he answers a question beginning with the Greek word, they. In English, that word only translates as but. However, many translators have seen fit to provide a more robust translation for the context. The King James Version goes, How be it? Would he, the Spirit of truth, is come? Here we are shown that the Holy Spirit is not only a person, per se, or the source of truth, or ever-present, but the Holy Spirit is a robust solution for the context of their problem. Then, Rabbi Jesus instructs his students on how he will do this. In answering it, Christ doubles down on a title he used earlier. Jesus continued, He will guide you into all truth. The Comforter, more specifically the Holy Spirit, most specifically the Spirit of Truth, would guide them. And the culminating destination at the end of that road would be truth. This construction talk reminds me of the teaching of the modern rabbis that Adolf Ox would have encountered in the early 20th century. Remember that at his local congregation, the reformed Judaistic rabbis were building a bridge between the ancient faith and the modern era. But another contemporary Judaism movement was Reconstruction Judaism. The central of this denomination was the notion of Tikkun Olam, a phrase that meant repairing the world. So from Jesus onward, rabbis throughout the ages have sought to build a road to truth. Gospel. The Gospel of John. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he 
speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. New Road Jesus was a visionary who had an ultimate goal of turning his spiritual dreams into flesh and blood reality. But the Savior's main obstacle in achieving them was the 33-year lifespan that he was allotted. But by the nature, Jesus' dreams don't just fill one life, no matter how long the lifetime may be, but my life, your life, and many other lives. So Jesus didn't just leave a successor that was just a human, but rather a spirit, the animating force within a life form to fill all people with the fullness of his personhood. The Messiah was manifesting his vision for mankind through the spirit that helped create it in the beginning. It was the same spirit that Moses spoke of in Genesis, hovering over the waters. Yet in the Gospels, this sanctifying spirit would only honor Jesus. This spirit would establish his words and build a road to Christ's version of the future. Initially, the Lord starts describing the Holy Spirit as seemingly humble, for it appears to be more of a description of what he won't do than what he will do. Christ says, For he shall not speak of himself. Now to the attentive listener, that should cue you to an earlier parallel. Maybe you remember when Jesus spoke of himself in John 12, 49. For I have not spoken of myself, for the Father which sent me, he gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. So the next words concerning the Holy Spirit should come as no surprise. Rather, they should come as confirmation. The Gospel goes on. For whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. If you as a listener sense that things are starting to come full circle, it is because that is the full intention of the author because there seems to be a closed circuit between the Holy Ghost, the Son, and the Father. And even without uttering the word Trinity, we start to sense that there is a one-ship between these three. Then Rabbi Jesus confronts the natural mystic implications of his words thus far, with their intended meaning. By that I'm referring to the gray area of new revelation that springs up in every branch and offshoot of Christianity. The rabbi says, And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. To every dream, vision, interpretation, or even accepted book of scripture after the Gospels, there's this challenge. Does it glorify Christ? And does that glorification parallel the way that God the Son said that he intended to glorify God the Father? because every new road should lead you back home. Rebuilding that path reminds me of the Reconstructionist Judaism movement that we mentioned earlier. It was founded by Mordecai Kaplan, a Lithuanian-born rabbi in New York City. He said in his book, Not So Random Thoughts, A theology which is not a plan of social action is merely a way of preaching and praying. It is a menu without the dinner. When Jesus left the church, the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just to inspire faith that led to belief, but faith that manifested action. The 
blueprint for the bridge has already been drawn and the bricks have been laid. We are called to drive it back home. Gospel. The Gospel of John. For he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Full disclosure, later apostles saw Jesus as a champion of the people. He is pictured in Hebrews in the imagery of the high priest, representing the people to God. Now while this is theologically true, it is not the language that Jesus used per se. Christ pictured himself as more of a prophet like Moses, the spokesman for God. and. When he was going up to be with that God, he needed his own spokesman. That is the role that Jesus saw the Holy Spirit as having. Jesus spoke for God because he possessed all that the Father had. And likewise, the Holy Spirit spoke for Christ because he possessed all that the Son received. Mysteriously, though these three differ in person, they are one in essence, nature and will. And that will of this triune one is for the well-being of his many elect. The same God that made a highway through the desert for Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt has now constructed a road back home for all humanity. The initial description of the relationship between the Spirit, the Son, and the Father is explained as a road. The nature is expounded upon further as sharing. Christ says, For he shall receive of mine, and shall show it to you. The road Jesus constructed between the Spirit and himself may go two ways, but only has one destination. Any notion that purports to be from the Holy Spirit that isn't in a parallel lane to the meek, peacemaking message of Jesus is a detour on the road to perdition. The spirit of truth will always lead to the established word of Christ because Jesus is the only path to the Father. The next state words confirm this truth. It may be the best Christocentric maxim in the Bible. It goes, All things that the Father hath are mine. In this poor, lowly rabbi, we find all the riches of the Almighty God. The Apostle Paul later put it this way in Colossians. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, Father, and you are complete in him. So then we as readers and listeners are called to be believers and doers. If there is any mystery as to what we should do, the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture goes on to tell us. Our Lord says, Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, 
and shall show it unto you. At every point in our believing and doing, the Spirit shall take of Jesus's and shall show it unto us. This is especially true when things are hard to understand. So, for example, when we are having a hard time interpreting the violent imagery and metaphors featured in the book of Revelation, we interpret it through the pacifistic calls of the Prince of Peace. Or when you feel the promptings of conscience or strong feeling in your gut, we balance it with the actions of the Galilean in the Gospels. All roads should lead back to Jesus because that is where God lives. So if we are to believe Christ when he says, all things that the Father hath are mine, then the words of Rabbi Jesus and Rabbi Kaplan must jive. By that I mean that the gospel then calls us to a version of Tikkun Olam, repairing the world. Because this world is the creator's world. But we cannot express this theology without a plan of social action. We cannot possess this faith without service. We cannot build the bridge back home without the Holy Ghost. Macy says Moses abuses his power. Park chairman's alleged arbitrary acts cost state millions. The New York Times. Between Jesus and Mordecai Kaplan and Adolf Fox, we've discussed Judaism a lot today. Now, I know some of you may be scratching your heads like, I don't think this dude has got the memo on his own podcast. This is like a Christianity thing. Just bear with me. But there is one more Jewish person to consider in this story. Robert Moses. The problem is that his story is increasingly less about construction and more about destruction. As time went on, Robert Moses eventually traded championing the people for just championing the future. His version of the future. His version was all about cars. Sometimes the cars even needed people's houses to be demolished to construct highways for them right through the middle of the city, through poor, working class, and minority neighborhoods. Robert Moses' future was not about people, so the people organized against Robert Moses. A story goes that a group of rabbis wrote to protest the structural racism employed by Robert Moses. He replied that he was an Episcopalian. I assume that this retort was just a sarcastic attempt to brush him off. But if not, there's yet one more rabbi with a message for Episcopalians and all Christians that cannot be easily dismissed. The message of Rabbi Jesus is that the kingdom of God begins with preparing the world that we find ourselves in now. The message of the spirit of truth is that repairing the world begins with repairing the broken people 
that we find around us. The message of God our Father is that repairing the broken around us is the reconstruction of the creation that he once started. As goes Jesus, so goes the Holy Spirit, and so goes the Father. Because, of course, the three are one. But Jesus wanted more, didn't he? He wanted for his disciples, his followers, and all of us to be one. A chapter after our scripture reading, we find Jesus praying in the garden to his Father. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them and thou hast loved me. But we cannot be one in love with God, the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit if we do not have a faithful, genuine, and active love for people.